We begin in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, dear brothers and sisters in Christ, on this wonderful Sunday morning. Uh, as I mentioned, we're, we're kind of walking our way through um, that overarching theme of love local. How can we love the people and the places in which we live? Uh, and today we're going to talk specifically about, about that topic or that concept of, of patience. And you might wonder why this one I kind of front-loaded, and I think I think the reason is, is that patience is connective in nature, okay? Uh, I'm going to start with this, though. In 1969, uh, a man invented something that has revolutionized our world. I would argue in 1969, a man invented something that has revolutionized what it means to live here in Colorado. He invented something that Many of you probably are wearing right now. Okay, now you're trying, you're trying to think, what, what did he invent? What could have been so novel? What could have been so life-changing for us as Coloradans? This is what it's called, Gore-Tex, right? So you know what Gore-Tex is, right? Uh, if you've got jackets on, many of your jackets maybe have Gore-Tex. Uh, if you are wearing boots or hiking boots of any sort, they're maybe lined with Gore-Tex. Um, that little tag, Gore-Tex, it's amazing on how many products you buy, and it doesn't matter if it's, if it's Nike or Adidas or whatever. On almost every one of them, you'll see on the sleeve or on the pant leg or on your shoes, that little patented title, Gore-Tex, right? Now, um, you, you probably on some level understand what Gore-Tex does. Uh, it was invented by a man named Bob Gore in 1969. Um, but what, what's interesting about the story of uh, the invention of Gore-Tex um, is that he created something, he invented something that has proliferated our world and we use every single day in the clothing, the shoes that we wear. Um, but its, its discovery was actually, it came from an act of in, impatience rather than patience. So Bob Gore, I'll go back to his picture there. Um, he worked with a polymer, and um, just keep this in mind, um, I'm a theologian, not a chemical engineer, um, and, and so I do my best. But ironically, I, I have studied Greek, which many chemicals are based off of Greek and Latin. So he was working with a polymer called polytetrafluorethylene. Okay, some of you are like, oh, easy, polytetrafluorethylene. I mean, rolls right off the tongue, right? You couldn't tell you how many times I say that. Uh, otherwise known as uh, PTFE, PTFE, polytetrafluorethylene. Um, you're saying, well, where do I use it? You already know you use it in Gore-Tex, but uh, it's also known as Teflon is what I, I've been told. Right? So if you have Teflon plates, it's the very same thing. Well, um, Bob Gore was working with it, and he was struggling with it. Uh, um, he, was, he was trying to, to manipulate it and stretch it out, and so he would heat it, these rods, and he would kind of slowly try to pull it apart, and it just kept breaking. It kept snapping, snapping, snapping. And so um, in kind of an act of impatience, an act of, of haste, um, one of these rods that he had that had been heated, he just gave it a violent jerk as hard as he could. Lo and behold, it stretched to about 800 to 1,000% and held. He, was, he marveled at it. He said, well, how in the world? I've, I've tried to stretch these things. I've tried to pull them out, and it, it's never worked. His act of impatience invented Gore-Tex. Now, here's what happened. It created um, um, a whole labyrinth of connection 
and holes and air pockets. Okay, so this is what Gore-Tex does. You're thinking, I don't need to learn about Gore-Tex, but there will be a point to this. Um, and here's how kind of amazing Gore-Tex is and his act of impatience that created Gore-Tex um, created uh, um, micro holes and a framework um, over a span and it was just the right size to do just the right things that Gore-Tex needed to do. So the first is, is that these holes that were created uh, um, were, were small enough that wind and rain can't get through it, okay? So they're waterproof, right? Wind and rain can't get through Gore-Tex because the holes are small enough. Um, but if you've ever run around, like as kids, my mom, we grew up in Alaska, and my mom would, um, in order to keep our feet dry, she would put, she would put our, our feet and our socks in um, um, bread bags, plastic bread bags, and then you'd put your feet into your moon boots, and then you were good to go for the rest of the day. My mom thought, yeah, their feet are never going to be wet. But you want to know what happens when you wear a bread bag around for an entire day? Your feet are so sweaty and wet that it wouldn't have mattered anyway, right? You should have just not worn a bread bag at all, right? So, so we understand, like, if we just put plastic on us, if we create that barrier, you're going to sweat as much on the inside as the outside. That was the groundbreaking thing about Gore-Tex. It keeps um, um, rain, it keeps storms out, but... From the inside, these are just the right sized molecules that it allows your body to breathe. So vapor is able to escape, right? Storms and water is not able to get in. Okay, uh, here's a microscopic view of what Gore-Tex looks like and what he invented. Um, Gore-Tex, the material is actually 70% air. Yeah, you're like, wow. Because it really works, doesn't it, right? 70% air, but it keeps out storms and wind, but it allows you and your body to breathe. Um, I think that becomes a pretty good illustration for what we're going to talk about today when we talk about that concept of patience. I think patience is, is, is a network and it's interconnected and it does a couple things, and especially in the context of what Paul's going to talk to us about here today. Uh, um, patience allows us to weather the storms of life the difficulty, the suffering, the deluges, uh, um, the disappointments, all those things. These things, uh, um, patience allows us to weather those things. And yet, patience, when it's put in place with the people around us, the people that we love and in our communities, still allows us to breathe and allows life to breathe and to exist. And so I think Gore-Tex can be a good illustration for that concept of patience and how it networks together and and what it can look like in our lives as believers. And so that's what we want to look at today, um, is, just, is just patience, okay? Now, um, I want you to do this for me. If you've got your bulletin in front of you, you've probably got pens, you can write it down or you can make a mental note in your head. On a scale of 1 to 10, how patient are you? One being near constant road rage. <laughs> Ten being nothing rattles me, okay? So for yourself, rate yourself. Where, where do I land? Where do you land on a scale of one to ten of road rage to nothing rattles me, okay? So are you getting numbers in your head? Little up, little down? Okay. Now here's what I want you to do. And this is remarkably dangerous. I want you to rate your spouse 
or someone that you love or is close to you. Okay, don't tell them yet though. Don't tell them yet, okay? Okay, so you're, you're kind of, you're, you're doing a, a self-reflection saying, um, how patient am I? But then pick somebody that you love, that you're close to, and I want you to put a number on how patient they are, okay? Okay. Hold on to that. Put a pin in that. Um, that idea of patience, and I would guess, if I looked at all of your ratings, um, there's almost a, a universal difficulty in patience. Sometimes when I ask people, I think almost all of us would say, we need more patience, right? I wish I was more patient. Maybe on Mother's Day, a day like this, maybe moms think, I wish I was more patient with my kids. I wish I took more time with them. I wish I was more long-suffering. I wish I was more present. All these things, right? And I think that's pretty common. In fact, I would guess that all of us probably rate ourselves on the lower end of patience. Because I think it's one of those traits that every single one of us would like to be able to turn the dial up just a little bit on. So that's the first thing. I think, uh, um, and, and that's not true just of you or us that are here, but I think in our world in general. If we look into our world, um, the fast-paced busyness of our world, as you go back to work on Monday, maybe watch the world in a different light and say, okay, how patient are people? How patient is the traffic I'm in on I-25? Where does that dial land between one and 10, right? I think more often than not, maybe it's on the lower end. Um, so that's the very first thing. I think this, this desire to want to be more patient, um, it's pretty universal. I mean, I think most of us would say, if I could, if I could have a little more of that, um, it would be wonderful. Now, um, here's why that's important for us here today as believers. So we're in this series called Love Local. We're talking about how we can share Christ with our community. And this is where I think this idea of patience really comes in and really hits the road, so to speak, for us as believers. Um, how patient we are, how patient you are as believers matters to the people around you. And it matters to the unbelieving world in which we exist in. Now, here's why I think it's maybe amped up a little bit. Uh, the first is we talked about, I think our, our American society has accelerated. I'll put it that way. Um, and I think it's increasingly accelerating, right? It becomes busier, busier, busier. So I think patience is more needed than ever. But if you put it in the context of Christianity, in American Christianity, what has been happening is across America, um, Christianity, practicing Christianity has been on the decline. Okay, so now what has that done? Because you're saying to yourselves, well, but we're, we're here on a Sunday morning, right? Which is incredible. But what it does for us is it, it ought to have a step back and say, okay, the, the people that I interact with, my neighbors, my coworkers, um, all the relations that I have, in general, most of them will not know who Christ is. The vast majority will not be believers, right? What does that mean? Well, they don't actually know the Bible. They don't know who Jesus is. They don't know what being a Christian is supposed to look like, right? They really don't know any of those things. So if we would say, say um, um, the changing face of America, we would say biblical knowledge is far less today than it was 10 years ago, 
20 years ago or 40 years ago. So the things we take for granted, or maybe we took for granted, we simply have to change our thinking because your loved ones, the people in your communities, your neighbors, those that need to hear of Christ, and they will only hear of Christ through, lo and behold, you, Christians, right? We have to have a far greater level of patience as we share Christ with people that are coming a far greater distance, right? Because they don't know. Think of the patience you have to have um, with a toddler versus a 21-year-old. I know, yeah, someone said, I knew that was going, yeah, I almost was going to say teenager, and then the patience would actually have to be higher, but right? But we understand that as mature adults, we say, okay, um, we, we ought to have more patience. We, we, as mature adults, we ought to have more patience with those that are younger, that are less Mature. You put that into a spiritual realm, into the world in which we live, into the world in which you are sharing Christ. The people around you are, are adults and they're mature, but they are spiritual infants and at times have no concept of who Christ is, what he's done, or what is within the, the covers of the pages of the Bible. Okay? So, patience in general, but patience specifically for us as believers who know Christ and know his word. Okay? So I, I think this is incredibly important. So um, here are the three points I want to talk about today uh, when we talk about patience. Uh, motivation for that. So where, why, why would we even talk about this topic, right? What, what drives us? What's the drive behind that? Uh, method of patience. So what, what can that look like? Paul, Paul's going to give us some idea. Um, and then made of patience. So not just what can we do, but um, maybe from afar, what is the makeup of patience? What does someone who is patient look like? So I think those are the three things that we want to look at from the Apostle Paul, okay? Um, so you're welcome to follow along with me if you'd like. We're going to start with just first, the first verse of our text, or um, not the first verse of our text, verse 12, where Paul kind of zooms in on this. Verse 12 says this, uh, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Okay. Now, understand the context a little bit of where we're at in the book of Romans. And you heard it as I read that full selection. Paul um, is talking to the Christians in Rome, so he's talking to believers who know Jesus. Um, and he, he, he addresses kind of actually two groups, which is fascinating. The first is, um, he's talking to all of us. And he's saying, in a church, brothers and sisters in Christ, right, the people you sit with, here's how you ought to act with one another, right? Uh, um, here's how you, you, you should treat one another. These are these kind of things. And then um, in verse 14, he switches and he says, okay, now here's the impact. Here is how I want you um, to treat those that are outside of the church, that are spiritual infants, that don't, don't know who Christ is, right? So Paul kind of addresses both of those things, but... Verse 12, this idea of patience, I think, connects it all together. And this isn't the only place in the Bible where uh, um, the Apostle Paul or God himself tells us and urges us as believers towards patience. In fact, I did a word study of it, um, and there, there was all kinds of areas where God says, be patient, be patient, be patient, right? Um, what can we glean from that? If God talks about patience in the Bible all the time, what can we assume that we aren't once in a while. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes teachers discipline by 
omission rather than, right? So, um, and you feel a little bit, maybe that's what Paul was doing here. So you talk, why is he talking to the Christians in Rome about being patient, about loving one another, about uh, how they're treating people outside of their walls? It could be because they weren't very good at it (laughs) or they weren't doing it, right? But we understand that because these things that Paul talks about, we're saying these are not easy. These are not easy topics. Being patient is not easy. It does not come naturally to almost any of us, right? And yet, I think patience connects all these things together, right? So um, you can be loving, you can be forgiving, you can be generous, you can be um, selfless, you can do all these things, and they might be what kind of one-offs, but what ties all of those beautiful things together? I think patience and long-suffering that Paul talks about does that. And that's what that word specifically talks about. Um, um, it, it means, uh, literally means to remain or to stand or to endure. So hippomeno um, from the Greek, persevere. Um, the, word, the, way, the words I like the best is long-suffering. Okay? So, so it says that, that, um, that you, you not only are standing your ground, but you're going to, you're going to be there at the end. Right? So when Paul talks about patience, right? talking about long-suffering, right? That these are not things that just happen now. And if they don't happen now, then I'm on to the next. Paul says, no, as believers, we are patient and we are present and we are there long, right? And that's in the face of friends, family that love us. But even more importantly, as Paul talks about here, in the face of persecution and enemies and hardship, okay? So Paul says, be patient, right? Um, What we're talking about how can we do that? Where's our motivation? Paul actually gives it to us in chapter 12. So the book of Romans uh, kind of builds up and chapter 12 is the turning point a little bit. We started our selection at verse 9. But if you go back, chapter 12 verse 1 says this, and this is our motivation for even talking about the concept of, of um, God's mercy or of, of patience. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as, living, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Okay, so our motivation for patience, for living as believers, um, Paul says that this is all done in view of God's mercy. And, and that, that's twofold, isn't it? Right? When we say in view of God's mercy, what, what is Paul actually saying to us there? Well, the first thing he's saying is that if, if someone needs to be merciful to you, what does that say about you or about me? Right? It, means, it means on some level that, that we've messed up, right? that we've made a mistake, that we are, if you are in need of mercy, then something's gone wrong. And so Paul says, in view of God's mercy, right? So the best picture of that is Christ on the cross. As he, as he viewed those at his feet, he said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Right? That's the view of God's mercy. So Paul is saying, um, our motivation to do these things is in view of the cross and Christ. If we want the power to be these things, to do these things, we look to Christ and the mercy that we have in him. Now, here's what that does. It, it levels the playing field. And it obliterates our, our um, self-denial and selfishness. Now, here's why that's important. 
Because I think in general, our world kind of works on those operatives. Okay? So I think in general, our world, the people you interact with um, on some level, and even our, our own human hearts are bent towards ourselves, are, are kind of curved in on ourselves rather than out. Okay? Paul's talking about out. But God's mercy addresses the in, right? So I think our world, and even for us, um, um, we, we tend towards either self-righteousness or self-centeredness, okay? Self-righteousness or self-centeredness. Self-righteousness says, I am superior to someone else. Self-righteousness says, I don't need as much mercy as the guy next to me. Self-righteousness puts ourselves at a plane that is higher and puts others below. So that's self-righteousness. Self-centeredness is kind of uh, um, adjacent to that. And self-centeredness says my needs are more important than your needs. What I want, what I um, have to get out of life is more important, is the most important, more so than you or anyone else around us. So Paul says in view of God's mercy, what he's really doing is kind of obliterating our self-righteousness and our self-centeredness because who of us could stand before a perfect righteous God? Well, not one. There is no higher and lower. There is no better or worse. We are all sinners. As Luther put it, we are all beggars at the gate. And what we receive is the life of Christ and his mercy. And he forgives, not because of what we've done, not because of how patient we've been or we haven't, but because of Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. So what motivates our Christian living and our patience? It's Christ. What obliterates our selfishness, our self-righteousness, and our self-centeredness? It is Christ. What leads us to live lives that are sacrificial and selfless rather than selfish? It is Christ. That is our motivation. That's what powers our Christian living. Okay? That's the first point. But our second point, Paul gives us some really wonderful uh, um, um, directives on how we can put in place patience. So I want you to answer this question. Do you think that patience is primarily a character trait, an emotional state, or a behavior? Okay? I know some of you are like, oh, I've, I've been through this trick before, right? It's all of them, all of the above, right? So, but but I think it's, a, I think it's a, good, a good thing for us to think through. Do you, do you generally view patience in your own life as, as a character trait, an emotional state, or a behavior? This one's fascinating, right? And actually, I don't really have an answer for you on that. Um, I, think, I think probably the answer is a little bit of all three. But I can tell you what Paul talks about in our text today, um, that we can actually put patience in place. And um, we're going to look at what Paul says about it. Uh, but the truth is, um, they've even found that within our world around us. So I talked about the accelerating view of, of the world in which we live. Um, they've done some studies on our engagement um, on the internet and with technology. Okay? So they're able to gauge all these things, really smart people, companies that really like to make money off of us, study it. Right? Um, so there's some studies that have done this, Microsoft and others. Um, they have measured our engagement on websites and the amount of time, the amount of patience we have when we're, when we're on the internet. Right? Uh, so the first here is 
250 milliseconds. If a page doesn't load in 250 milliseconds, you can already, they, they can already detect a lack of patience in us. This is legit, 100%. Microsoft, they make their money off of these type of things. Seriously. They will say, if, if your website doesn't load in faster than 250 milliseconds, you are at a competitive disadvantage against other companies. So it, it, it does matter to them, right? You want to know how long 250 milliseconds is? Blink. It's a blink. They can already measure that we've, we're starting to tune out <laughs> in a blink, right? Within five seconds, 25% of you are gone, done. I've got no interest in this web page anymore. In 10 seconds, 50% of you are gone, right? That's it. So what's our attention span? Remarkably short. Now, here's what's amazing um, is that they've actually seen that attention span get um, um, shorter and shorter and shorter, the faster technology runs. What does that tell you about patience? It tells you that it can be learned. It also tells you it can be lost, but it can be learned, okay? And that's what Paul's talking about here. So we talk about behavior. We talk about how can we be more patient. Paul gives us some, some beautiful methods that we can put in place as believers to increase our patience. We're going to walk through each one. Verse 14 and 15, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. So the first one is bless people. And what's wrapped up in blessing? I think there's some prayer in there, right? That you are willing good for someone else, right? And in this context, those that are enemies, those that persecute you. Paul says, actually bless them. Don't call down curses on them, right? Bless them. Say prayers on their behalf, right? Um, um, bless them in that regard. Second one, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. So we talk about self-righteousness. Paul, like right to the heart of the matter. Second one is here, he says, be humble, right? Be humble. So live your life with humility, right? Live your life with humility, right? Okay, next one, verse 17. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. And this one's important enough that Paul's going to come back to it. But number three, choose to forgive. Okay? So he says, he says um, don't repay evil for evil. He says, forgive. The only thing that stops the cycle of vengeance and evil for evil is forgiveness. Is someone saying enough? Right? I forgive. Okay, that's the third one. Fourth one, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So fourth one is, is bring peace, right? Um, sometimes my kids will talk about um, certain classmates and things like that, that all that they do is bring drama. Sometimes people have been called a drama. Oh, come on. I was going to say king, a drama king. No, yeah. Okay, sometimes. So we've got a phrase for it called, right? So um, um, in your interaction with, with others and with the relationships in your world, are you a peace bringer? Do you bring peace to those situations? Right? Okay. Paul says, bring peace. Let peace walk with you. Let it hang from you. Bring it to every conversation, every engagement, whether it's at work, with your neighbors, or at church, right? Paul says, bring peace. 
Verse 19, do not take revenge. So now we're circling around again. Paul says, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. So number five, um, don't be vengeful. Now this one, again, obliterates our self-righteousness and our self-centeredness because when we decide to enact revenge, whose throne do we choose to sit in? I'll tell you, it's, it's his, it's God's. When we say, I will mete out vengeance, we are saying, God, I'll, let me just sit in that seat for a little while. I'll keep it warm. I'm really good at it. And in this instance, God, I really know what the punishment should be. So just scoot aside. I'm going to sit in the throne and I will mete out vengeance. Right? And Paul says, don't. He says, let, let God sit on the throne. Let God meet out justice because he's perfectly loving and perfectly just. Um, not to mention that it's a, a large degree short-sighted. When we want to meet out vengeance, do we have any idea all of the things that may be, have gone on in, in, in that person's life? You don't. You don't know if they just lost their mom or their dad. You don't know if they're about to lose their job. You don't know if they're heartbroken. You don't know if they're, if they're even chemically imbalanced. Like, we don't know any of those things. And so when we mete out vengeance, it is remarkably short-sighted. And it's actually not our job. It's God's job. He does it. He does it perfectly. And thank God he does because he's shown mercy to us. Right? Last one here. Paul says, On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you'll heap burning coals on his head. So, number six, act for good. And this one always sounds a little bit interesting. Um, theologians are, are a little split on exactly what you'll heap burning coals on his head means. Um, many will say that maybe it was referencing if a city was under siege and the enemies were down below, what you, would, you would pour burning coals out on them and that would get them to calm down and stop sieging your city, something like that, right? Um, but the point that Paul's talking about is he's saying act for good. Act selflessly, act magnanimously, not because someone's earned it or deserved it, but just because this is, this is how you have been acted toward in our God above, okay? So method of patience. Paul gives us six beautiful things that literally today you can walk away and put those into place, okay? But the last one here, Paul says this, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is a phenomenal one. And this is one where I think within our world, uh, on some level, will set and does set Christianity apart from other religions, faith, um, patterns of living, and ethics. Paul goes so far to say, overcome evil with good. And part of us says that doesn't work. That can't work, Right? Part of us revolts against that. And yet, Paul says, the good we do can actually win the battle versus evil. Now, um, I don't know if Tolstoy necessarily got this quote from the Bible, but it's remarkably um, accurate. Leo Tolstoy says this, the two most powerful warriors are patience and time. And I would argue the two things that you probably want more of in your life... <laughs> Our patience and time. Well, look how Paul asks us to use those two things. He actually asks us to use them to overcome evil, right? Long suffering, over time, with consistency, okay? 
That's Paul's directive to us. Now, what can that look like? I'm going to give you six things that can look like. We're going to go through them fast. Patience is connected, right? Connective and over time, right? So uh, it makes those connections through all these beautiful things that we have as believers, right? Next one is patience is present. So it is in the moment. It shows up. Secondly, it also is enduring. So it not just shows up in the moment, but, it's all, but it continues to be there over the long haul, right? That's what patience looks like. Patience is steady, okay? Patience looks like you're actually the adult in the room. When everything else is going crazy, you're the adult in the room saying, no, the sky isn't falling, we're going to be okay here, okay? So patience is steady. Patience is always loving, right? Even in the face of persecution and suffering and anger and evil, patience is consistently loving. And the last one, patience is hopeful. It's not burying our heads in the sand that we don't know that this life contains suffering and pain and evil and hardship, but it is consistently hopeful, right? Why? Because our hope is not placed in us or in this world, but it's placed in Christ. And so even in the midst of the hardest things, the most difficult situations, what are we able to do? We're able to lift our eyes to the cross and we are eternally and we are patiently hopeful. Because we know we have a Savior that was the same. We know we have a Savior that has loved us beyond all things. And we know that we have a Savior that will be back someday to take us to eternity. So, pray the Lord blesses you. Whether it is a character trait, emotion, or a behavior. I pray that the Lord blesses your patience and the opportunities it provides to be able to share Christ. Be able to share His mercy, the same mercy that you have. Amen.